This uh, last weekend we had the opportunity on Sunday after church to head to Chicago and visit my son Kai. Uh, it was filled with adventure, including a, a fight in a McDonald's, uh, it wasn't me fighting, uh, <laughs> and a McDonald's breezeway. Um, but uh, it, it helped me reflect just on, on what God has done in his life and in our lives. Uh, we are walking, he works at a church in, in Chicago, and we were, he was introducing us to some of the people that he worked with, and, and he would say, hey, this is my family. Uh, last year, when he graduated from college, uh, we were able to take this picture uh, and that was right after his graduation, and it was uh, Josh and Carter just walking with them. And, and there was two things that, that stood out about that moment. It might be my favorite picture in my life. One was, uh, that was their brother. That was their brother. Two was, that was their brother in Christ. See, Kai moved to our house when he was uh, going into a senior year of high school. He had started coming to youth group. And uh, he liked basketball and ping pong, two of the things I really enjoy. And so we built a relationship pretty quick and uh, came to youth group that whole year. And then I said, hey, where are you going to live next year? And he said, I have no idea. And so we said, why don't, you, why don't you move in with us? And God had to take care of a lot of details. But, but Kai moved into our house. And Kai put his faith and trust in Jesus. And Kai went to a Christian college, graduated with honor, something I hadn't done <laughs> and then went and worked at a church in Chicago. But the interesting thing is, you know, we didn't adopt Kai legally because Kai has a family uh, that doesn't live in the U.S. In a similar way, we have two uh, Afghan sons, foster sons, that we have not adopted because they have families that are going to move here hopefully soon. But he is every bit our son. But today we're, we're going to be talking about adoption. And so we had headed on that journey planning to adopt, but God had a different path. But in the Greco-Roman world, adoption looked a little different than it does in our context. In the words of F.F. F. Bruce, in the first century A.D., an adopted son, adopted son was a son deliberately chose by an adoptive father to perpetuate his name and inherit his estate. He was in no way inferior in status to a son born in the ordinary course of nature and might well enjoy the father's affection more fully and reproduce the father's character more worthily. This is how it would work in the first century in the Greco-Roman world. If I was uh, a man and I was unable to have a son, um, then I would be thinking, what about my legacy? What about my inheritance? What about my name? And so lineage was very important in those days, uh, a little bit different than us. So I would start to look for someone, find someone that I could take as my son. And if I adopted that person as my son, they would enjoy all the privileges. That house, that land that had been passed on to me from generation to generation to generation now would be his. He would enjoy status as my son. He would take on a new name. And when I died, Everything would pass on to him. And let's say his name was Bob. He would forever be known as Bob, son of Phil, son of Frank. And he would take on that lineage and a new name and a new purpose and a new 
identity. Well, we've been studying chapter 8 of Romans, and we're going to be talking about adoption today. But before we go into that, maybe if you're visiting today, maybe you're like, I don't even know anything about the book of Romans. The book of Romans was written by a guy named Paul. And Paul, before he was a Christian, was a Jewish Pharisee. And he traveled around putting Christians in jail and even having them executed because of their faith. And one day he was on the road to Damascus and Jesus met him and said, why are you persecuting me? And Saul came to know who Jesus was. And then his name was changed to Paul. And that Paul wrote 13 of the books that we have in the New Testament. And then also Romans is one of them. It was written to the Christians in Rome. And Romans is one of my favorite books of the Bible. And chapter 8 is one of my favorite chapters in Romans. And it has been called by many the greatest chapter in the Bible. And so we decided to go seven weeks on this chapter. We are in week three right now. We're going to be looking at Romans 8, 14 to 17. Let's read it together and then I'll pray. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by Him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. Let's pray. God, I'm so thankful that we get to gather together and sing hallelujah, that you are our hope in life and death that you had victory over death, and today on Easter we celebrate that you were raised again victorious and that you offer life to each and every one of us. Lord, we pray, we know that we're all bringing different circumstances into this room. Some of us are woke up in the morning in a great mood. The sun was shining and everything was going perfect. Others woke up somber stressed, anxious, worried, sad. Lord, we pray that you meet us where we're at this morning through your word. You change us. You bring us closer to you. In your name we pray. Amen. Romans 8.14 For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. Last week we talked about two categories in Romans 8. Either we have the Spirit of God, or we don't have the Spirit of God, and are therefore separated from God. And so Paul makes that distinction by talking about being led by the Spirit. And last week we talked about a relationship with Jesus makes all the difference in the world. There's these two categories. The first one he gives is life according to the flesh. And in that category, you can't please God. It leads to death. You can't follow God's law. You're separated from God. And so Paul says we need to live by the Spirit. And the outcome of that is life and peace, a new identity. The Spirit lives in you. Christ is in you. You get a new identity, which is what we've called this series, Identity. Because as followers of Jesus, we have a new identity. Our identity isn't found in anything else other than Christ. And we have a new purpose and a new destiny. 
So today as we dive into those topics, if you're new to North Park, I just want to kind of go through what we typically do every week. What we do is we, we open a passage and we read it and we try to explain it and then hopefully we apply it to our lives. We don't want to be people that just come and read this word and then go home unchanged. We want it to change our lives. Why do we want that? Well, because we want to live like Jesus. We want to love like Jesus which means our love needs to be radical. It means we're called to love those who disagree with us. It means we're called to love those who have different opinions than us. It means we're called to love those that are from different political parties than us. It means we're called to love those that hate us. That is what a radical life of love looks like. We're called to serve others, care for others, to live like Jesus. So let's open God's Word and and pray that He speaks through it so that we can live more like Christ. See, the Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. As mentioned a few weeks ago, many historians estimate that in Rome, in the city of Rome, 80 to 90% of the people that lived in Rome were slaves. In the further Greco-Roman world, the estimate is between 30 to 40% of people that lived in the Greco-Roman world were slaves. Now, those, that was much different slavery than we experienced here in America, but still, someone who was a slave was considered property, and they didn't have the same rights as sons or daughters had. So Paul has been making this distinction throughout Romans 6, 7, and 8 that believers used to be slaves to sin. And being a slave to sin leads to fear and ultimately death. In John 8, Jesus put it this way, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will what? Set you free. They answered, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Was that true? Had the Israelites never been slaves of anyone? No, they were slaves in Egypt for 400 years. They had been conquered by the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Persians, the Greeks, and the Romans. But they were like, no, we haven't been slaves. And Jesus said, you're missing the boat. I'm talking about spiritual slavery. Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Jesus is offering true freedom found in a relationship with Him. Now, going back to Romans, He says, The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again, but rather the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. Now, in those days, many people would would sell themselves to be slaves. It's called debt slavery. If they owed a debt, they would sell themselves, or if they couldn't afford to buy food and stuff, they'd sell themselves into slavery for a certain period of time so that they could pay that debt back, and then they'd be done with their slavery. But part of the fear there is when I'm done, will I be able to then make a a living, or will I have to sell myself back into this? And so the status in the Greco-Roman world as a slave was uncertain. There There was fear with it. There was uncertainty about their future. What does the future hold? Do you have uncertainty about your 
future. If you died today, do you know what your future would hold? If you died today, do you know what comes next? And does that question bring peace or joy? I'm at the age now, I'm in my 40s, where I'm starting to think a lot about retirement. Not because I want to retire like next year, but because I, I don't want to be broke when I retire. So I'm starting to think, how do I invest? How do I be wise with my money? How do I think about what the future holds? And But the reality is that that I have a lot more certainty about what my future holds after death than I do after retirement. I know the moment... I pass from this earth, I'm going to receive an inheritance far greater than anything I can offer my kids. As a pastor, I'm often at people's deathbed. The days or weeks or sometimes even the day of their passing. And one thing has stood out. Now, sometimes there's the natural feelings of uncertainty and fear for spouses, for kids, for grandkids, wondering if they're going to be okay, wondering what's going to happen to them. But for those that know Jesus, there's this tremendous peace of knowing what the future holds when they die. I've just watched so many people with tears in their eyes just say, I'm so ready to meet Jesus. I'm so ready to be with my Savior. Do you have certainty about what happens after you die? I love the song in Christ alone. It says, no guilt in life, no fear in Death. See, God wipes away our guilt and our shame through forgiveness, and He takes away our fear and death because there's no fear of what's coming. This is the power of Christ in me. Does the thought of death bring fear or peace? See, when we have the Holy Spirit, we are no longer slaves. We are set free and adopted as children of God. Paul's borrowing from Jesus' words, going back to those. Now, a slave. Now, a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. If the son sets you free, you are free indeed. The moment we put our faith and trust in Christ, we're adopted into God's family, we're forgiven, we're redeemed, we're blessed, and we're given an inheritance. Here's the thing. Adoption is always the choice of the parents. There's no such thing as an accidental adoption. There are accidental pregnancies. I'm one of them. My parents were 41. They did not plan to have me. I was an oops. They say an unplanned blessing. That's what they say. But I, I, know, I know what it was. And, and in reality, all, all, all children are a gift from the Lord, and none of them are unplanned in God's eyes. And God is sovereign over all things, and all children are a blessing. But there's no such thing as an accidental adoption. No one's driving down the road, and some kid pops up in their car, and they're like, oh, you're my son. No, a- adoption is a choice. That means God chose you. If you have put your faith and trust in Jesus, God said, I, I want you. And he adopted you into his family. Now, here's the thing. If you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, God is inviting you. Listen to the words of Jesus. He says, come to me, all who are 
weary and broken, and I will give you rest. He says, if any of you are thirsty. Now, now what is thirst? Well, when we are lacking nourishment, we've been doing things, we find ourselves needing a drink of water. And so I talk a lot, so then, okay, I'm thirsty, I need a drink of water. But Jesus says, if you thirst, come to me. I'm the source of living water. Whoever drinks of me will never drink again. He says, if you are hungry, come and rest. If you're, or come and eat. If you're tired, come and rest. See, our, our world offers all these things. It says, if you're thirsty, you can find fulfillment in your job or your relationships. Or, or all these different things. If you have all the best stuff, the biggest house, the best cars, maybe it's some substance or some pleasure, all these things. If I have the best hobby, we feel like if the Lions win the Super Bowl, then I'll finally be satisfied. But those things don't last. Jesus says, come to me and eat. Come to me and rest. If you're fearful of the future, if you don't know what will happen when you die, Jesus says, come to me and be blessed. In John 10, Jesus says, the thief, Satan, comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you may have life and have it to the fullest. Abundant life. Stop chasing after those other things. Find your satisfaction in me. Now he continues and says, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. Now we don't cry out, I am God's son. We cry out, God is our father. This word is so powerful. It's a very intimate word. In the English we think of it kind of like daddy. Jews wouldn't use this word to talk about God. And even if they referred to God as father, they would throw in an adjective, eternal father, or some way to make it so they're, they're putting God up here. But Jesus brings God down to us. And even when he says, this then is how you should pray, our Abba. Maybe people think the Aramaic version of that is Abba, Daddy. For me, that word really comes down to two things. I think of two different examples. One, when my kids were little, when I came home, they would run to me with open arms and say, Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. And I'd pick them up and throw them up. And now if I pick them up and throw them up, I'd hurt my back. But unless they're playing video games, they still say, Dad, and come right to me. But if it's video games, hi, Dad. So, anyways, I did that too when I was a kid. But, Daddy, I don't know if any of you have ever watched the show NCIS. Uh, I'm going to do spoiler alerts to say something that happened in season 10. It's like season 25 now, so if you didn't get to it, I apologize. But one of the original characters was Israeli. And uh, in season 10, uh, her, her dad died. Sorry, spoiler alert. But when her dad died, she was just crying, holding her dad, and saying, Abba, Abba. It's this intimate word. See, God isn't this far off and distant God. Yes, He is sovereign. Yes, He is the creator of all things. Yes, He is transcendent, and He is all-powerful. But He says, draw near to me, and I will draw near to you. Jesus says, we pray to him by saying, Daddy, our Father. God 
is an intimate God. In Galatians 4, Paul puts it this way. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. We'll get to the heir thing in a second. But then the question becomes, well, how do we know we are God's children? Working with a lot of different adopted kids, sometimes they question and they doubt, am I really your child? Sometimes they say, does God truly love me? Am I really God's child? How does God let us know that? It says in verse 16, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And the Jewish courts, the testimony of two witnesses was required for something to be established as true. And so the Holy Spirit himself testifies with our spirit, demonstrating that we are God's children. Without the presence of the Holy Spirit, we couldn't confirm that, yes, we are God's children. But the Holy Spirit testifies on our behalf and gives us the ability to have assurance that we are saved. And he continues, now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. This is crazy. Do we see how profound this is? Now picture yourself. Go back to the Greco-Roman world. and Maybe you're an orphan. You have no family. And your outlook looks very dim. And this Greco-Roman world man says, I want you to be my son. And, and you go to court And the court declares, you are his son. And you take a new name and a new identity. And now your future is secure because you have the inheritance. The land that has been in your family for years is yours. The the sheep and the goats and the oxen and the fields, they're, they're all yours. You have assurance of what is going to happen. And you have this new position of privilege. And the scriptures say we are God's heirs. Not only are we God's heirs, we are co-heirs with God the Son, Jesus Christ. And so as an inheritance, we receive eternal life. A place prepared for us. Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you. In my Father's house, there, there are mansions and they have many rooms. We know where we're going. We get to dwell with God in heaven with no more pain, no more suffering, no more sin, no more hardship. This inheritance isn't just a destination. Sometimes we think of salvation as an end point. But the moment someone was adopted into a family, they got all the rights and privileges of being in that family from that moment until they died. For us, the inheritance and the blessing we receive from being in a relationship with Jesus isn't just an eternal destination. It's a here and now. Jesus walks with us and and leads us and is with us in the middle of difficulty. Last week we talked about the gift of the Spirit and how God dwells with us and guides with us, or guides us and walks with us. How we have this new nature. How we have power to fight against sin. Now what that doesn't mean is that life is going to be hunky-dory and easy if you follow Jesus. 
I'm not going to stand up here and say, if you don't know Jesus of today, you make the decision, then all of life's problems will fade away into the past. And you'll just skip through, you know, the fields with gumdrops and, I don't know, good fields. Because, he says, we are heirs, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. See, the path of following Jesus isn't always easy. But he walks with us. See, Paul, when he was Saul, was throwing Christians in prison and having them executed. And Jesus came to Saul and said, why do you persecute me? Because by persecuting Christians, Saul was persecuting Christ. Because he is with us. The path of following Jesus is often filled with suffering. In Philippians 1, it says, For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in me, but also to suffer for him. That's a privilege we have. But we don't walk through that privilege alone. In John 16, Jesus says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. He said, you're going to face trouble. But because you know I was already victorious over death, because you know I'm sovereign over all things, you will have peace. You may have peace. In the midst of that trouble or hardship, you can find peace in me. In 2 Corinthians 1, it says, For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. This is not a promise of an easy life, but it is a promise that God's comfort can abound no matter what you are facing today, tomorrow, or the next day. If we have put our faith and trust in Jesus, if we have the Spirit, we are children of God. We can have freedom from fear. We can be adopted into God's family. We can have a close relationship with the Father. We can have security and inheritance. We are heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ, and we will share in His glory. I want to wrap up by giving you a picture. The summer of 2001, we were trying to adopt, and uh, Michigan has this website called Mayor. It's the Michigan Adoption Resource Exchange. And what you do is you... You go on the website, and it's all the kids that their parental rights have been terminated and they're available for adoption. And you go on there and you can inquire about a child. And uh, we inquired about a number of different children, and there's a service. And then uh, they, we were chosen as one of the finalists uh, for two brothers. And uh, then they ended up being adopted by someone else, and they were chosen as a finalist for another child, and they were adopted by someone else. But here's, one, here's the picture I want to give you. All we know about this kid is just this little information on the bio on the website. But then when you're chosen, they send you a portfolio. And in the portfolio, it has every detail you can ever imagine. All of their medical records, all of their dental records, all of their school records, their grades, the times they've been suspended, the times they've been expelled, the times they've gotten in trouble. It has why they were removed from their family. It has all their court records and, and, and a history of what happened in those court hearings. And it has an assessment from the therapist. And you look at all of that and you say, I still want you. 
I know there's a lot there, but I still want you. Our life is a portfolio. God knows every single sin we've ever committed. He looks at our life and he sees it all. In the words of Hebrews 4, it says this, Nothing in all of creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. God knows every single thing you have ever done in your entire life. The moments where you sinned, the moments where you did something good but had bad motives, the motives moments where you, you, you failed, the moments where you rebelled against God, the moments where you rejected God, every single moment. And God gets that portfolio. And you know what the cross is? The cross is God saying, I still want you. I still want you. There was nothing we did to deserve God's grace that He gave on the cross. Our portfolio wasn't full of all these amazing behaviors and all these ways that we had pleased God. It was full of our rejection time and a time again of Christ. And Jesus said, I want you. That is the power of the cross. We're going through the book of Romans. And as we walk through Romans, we see that that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every single one of us has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And it says that the wages of that sin is death. It's separation from God. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And in and, and Romans 5, it says this. God demonstrates His love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Not because our portfolio was great. In the midst of our sin, in the midst of our rebellion, in the midst of us turning away from God, He loved us and He died for us. A preacher I listened to often told this story. He was at a, he had been going to a coffee shop for a long time and he invited this girl that was at the coffee shop to come to this youth event they were having. I thought this would be great. Church is probably a little too intimidating for her, so I'll just invite this to this youth event. Well, at this youth event, um, he didn't realize this, but the guest speaker was going to be talking about purity. And so, okay, this is a little awkward, but okay, we'll, we'll run with it. And the, at the beginning of the, the message, the, the, the speaker passed out a rose. And he told, I want everybody in here to, to smell the rose, to touch the rose, to experience the rose. And, and the rose got passed throughout the whole congregation at the end. His climax of the story is he was trying to, he was trying to show that, that, that sin has effects and he held up this rose. It was beaten. It was, it was, had broken. The, the, the things were missing off and he, and he said, who would want this rose? That was his climactic ending. And this preacher said, Jesus, Jesus wants the rose. Our brokenness, our sin. All the times we rebelled against God, Jesus knows our portfolio. And he still chose to come and to die. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish, 
but receive eternal life. If you're here today and you have fear and death and you don't know what tomorrow holds and you've been seeking after all these other things, hoping if I just get the right job, if I just find the right relationship, if I, if I can just get this, then life will come together. And let me just tell you, Jesus says, no, life is not going to come together until you find me. He knows your portfolio. And he still says, I want you. He's inviting you today. Come all who are weary. Let's bow our heads, close our eyes. If that's you today, and today you say, Lord, I'm so thankful you're pursuing me, that you want me. I want to give my life to you. I want to follow you. Would you just pray this prayer silently in your head with me? Dear Abba, Daddy, Father, I know I'm a sinner. I know I need your grace. I believe you died on the cross for my sins and rose again. And today I choose to give my life to you and to follow you. Lord, and if there's anyone in this room that did that, Lord, right now, in this moment, if they've given their life to you, they've been adopted into your family. They have a new identity, a new purpose. They are now heirs to receive your inheritance, both now and for all eternity. And Lord, we thank you that we can come and celebrate. Those of us who know you, come and celebrate that we are your sons and daughters. That we can cry out, Daddy, Abba, Father, know you hear us and know you're with us. Lord, help us to live in the reality of that truth that even though you know all of our sins, you still chose us nonetheless. In your name we pray. Amen.